We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. One week, baby. One week. Less than a week, actually. Um, until the NBA draft, because we're coming at you on a Friday. Um, and uh, that's exciting, because the NBA draft is the unofficial kickoff to the NBA offseason um, and, uh, I have a feeling it is going to be a busy one and hopefully a fun one and an enjoyable one. Uh, of course, um, we could not let a draft season go by without, um, sticking with what has now become an annual tradition. And that is to have the, uh, maestro of the mock draft. I just thought of that off the top of my head. That's not bad. Um, Jonathan Wasserman on, um, of Bleacher Report, of course, He's putting out uh, content uh, every day in related uh, in relation to the draft. He is as plugged in as they come. Um, he drops some great nuggets on this episode, including one about the Knicks specifically. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, but just I will say, you know, listen up. Uh, I think you'll uh, appreciate it. And we get into a ton of prospects. I wish we had time to get into even more, but we tried to hit as uh, as many as possible. Before he had to get out of here. Um, before we get to that combo, though, there's a bit of news. Um, and uh, that news involves uh, one of the members of the Knicks front office. Um, that would be one Scott Perry. Um, so uh, I think the Athletic broke the news, Shams, and uh, this was confirmed by Ian Begley. Um, contract accession for Scott Perry, uh, multiple seasons and, um, yeah, he's going to stick on in his role as the general manager of the New York Knicks. Um, you know, I, I, I've been, uh, this is tough because I, I think it was, was it about a year ago? Might have been about a year ago. I don't know. Less, more, who could tell? It's all it's all running together. I went on, I think, a bit of a rant when it was revealed that Scott Perry was going to be coming back um, under Leon Rose and that he was going to stay on as the team's GM. Um, mostly because I thought it was a missed opportunity. I thought there were a lot of really talented, um, young, maybe more analytically based minds out there in the league um, and that if you dangled the carrot of uh, Nick's general manager, you might be able to get one of those folks um, on board, even though it would not be in a uh, lead decision making role, because obviously, you know, that uh, has been something um, that is uh, Leon Rose's department, as, as has been reported. Everybody gets to make their input and um you know, Leon makes the the final call. And I think over the course of the last year or whatever it's been, 
my stance on Scott Perry has softened for two reasons. One, purely based on the situation that I just described. Um, He is a voice with the New York Knicks. He is not the voice for the New York Knicks. Um, And I think, you know, throughout his career, Scott Perry has, and again, this was all reported when he was originally hired here. Nobody had a bad thing to say about him, knows what he's doing. I mean, I've reported, I think, over the last couple of years that even people who maybe had reason not to like him were impressed by his ability to, you know, put systems in place, maintain those systems, very organized, you know, obviously professional, all of those things. Um, And I, I just, the knock on Perry I think has always been that he might not be, you know, the best evaluator of talent. Um, And I think if you want to take it a step further and if you want to look at like, okay, well, how is he being like the final say? And, And look, we don't know whether Scott Perry ever had final say here because he's either he was with Steve Mills or since then he's, he's obviously been with Leon Rose. So in terms of like, the decision to bring aboard David Fisdale, um, the decision to, you know, build the 2019-20 roster in the way that it was built. And I and look, Fisdale's a large part to blame for that. I also just don't think that roster made a ton of sense. I think we could point to guys like Bobby Portis and Julius Randle this year and Marcus Morris and all these guys having successful, you know, ventures either here or elsewhere. But just the complexion of that team um, just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I, I really don't. I mean, look, you could say Fizdale's all to blame. Like anybody who watched that year, I think it recognizes that, like, look, even when Mike Miller took over, it was still a team that was whatever they were, 10 games under 500. So, um, yeah, you know, and Perry has to own that. Perry has to own Fizdale to a certain extent. Perry has to certainly own Kevin Knox, um, to an extent. And I would say of all of the things on Scott Perry's record, um, to take Kevin Knox at the spot that he took him, um, when literally, um, almost any of the other, I'm, I'm, I just want to remind myself of the, um, horror show, uh, that was the Knox pick. And I look, I like Kevin Knox. I still kind of believe maybe there's a basketball player somewhere within Kevin Knox. But if you look at that draft and you recognize the fact that the next several picks in order were Mikal Bridges is about to get paid somewhere between 20 and $25 million a year. Shea Gilgis Alexander would have solved the Knicks point guard problems is, is going to be a, a day one max guy this summer. Um, when he is eligible to get extended. Miles Bridges, who is, you know, a solid player. Um, he's certainly a rotation player in the league. I don't know if he's a starter. I don't know if he's like a backup, but he's a good player. And then there was a miss with Jerome Robinson. And then after that, Michael Porter Jr., who, you know, is he going to be a significant part of a massive trade for a, a Beal or a Ben Simmons or whoever? Like, who knows? Um, but like, those were the next five picks. And you could even go a little bit down further than that. Um, After Porter Jr. had Troy Brown Jr. Miss Zaire Smith thus far. Miss. Then Dante DiVincenzo. Solid player. Lonnie Walker. Solid player. Kevin Herter. Talk about a guy who might get extended for upwards of $20 million a year um, this this offseason. So, you know, we got Kevin Knox. Um, it, it is what it is, but there's also a lot of positives to Scott Perry's draft record. First of all, anything that has happened since Leon Rose came aboard, Scott Perry is the general manager and he deserves to get some credit for that. How much credit? I can't sit here and tell you that, but he is a voice in the room. Um, I would also, you know, point to the Mitchell Robinson pick. That is 100% a Scott Perry selection. That pick does not happen with Scott Perry. Without Scott Perry, excuse me. Um, R.J. Barrett. He took R.J. Barrett. I, I've been a little cooler than some uh, in terms of how much credit I'm willing to give Scott Perry for the the R.J. Barrett pick because it was the obvious pick. And like, 
Um, you know, but listen, RJ looks awesome. I think is there a world where he could become, you know, the second best player in this draft all like long term? Eh, maybe. Might he wind up being the fourth best player in this draft? Not willing to rule that out either. But at the very least, RJ Barrett's a damn good pro with a, a nice ceiling, and I think we're all happy that we we have him. Um so that goes on Perry's ledger as well. And um I think probably at this point you would have to say that the most important thing that he did and the most impressive thing that he did is that he, as my daughter comes in here with a makeup kit, um, is he signed uh, Julius Randle to what has effectively become uh, one of the most valuable contracts in the league um, as it stands. Uh, Julius Randle is going to be playing for the Knicks. Here you go, Seth. Um, for under $20 million next season. Um, and that's a massive, massive, massive win. I think as much as you can give credit to this season for this season to Tom Thibodeau, um, you know, Randall, like this year for New York doesn't happen without Randall. And, um, you know, I'm giving the lion's share of the credit for Randall to Scott Perry. So let's say, you know, it's a mixed bag. Um, he's, again, a voice. And there's the second point that I, I was going to say earlier and I'll say now, which is that for this front office, I think, and, and more than the front office, I think this, this whole regime, and I'm including Tom Thibodeau in that group, I think for this whole regime... The fact that they get along, the fact that, or at least they seem to get along well enough, at least to be functional. I mean, we, we've, again, heard reports of, you know, Tibbs and like Brock Aller maybe going, getting, um, being on different sides of the different issues. Um, you know, but even to that end, Scott Perry is a guy who's, again, is known as someone who works really well with a lot of different people. And I think it's important that in a front office where you pro- I think you have some strong personalities, whether it be Worldwide West, Tom Thibodeau, I, I don't know, maybe Brock Aller has a strong personality. I have no idea. But like having a guy like Perry who is able to get along well with everybody, I think that's important. He knows how to work with different people. And I think Leon Rose likes having him there, you know, as part of the team. Um I, I just, again, am happier knowing that he is not the the most of the team or, or like the whole team or, or anything along those lines. So, um, you know, good for Scott Perry. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely, I mean this, I'm happy for him. Um, this Knicks season was amazing. He was partially responsible for it. Deserves all the credit in the world. Um, so let's just hope that... Um, you know, there's not a repeat on the Kevin Knox pick anytime uh, soon or anything of that nature. And, uh, you know, onwards and upwards uh, we go. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
Twice a week, J.J. Reddick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Um, I think that's it. Um, don't think I'm forgetting anything. If I am, I'm sure I'll get to it soon. Because we put out a ton of pods. Uh, spoiler alert, next week we're going to be putting out a shit ton of podcasts and probably for free agency week too. Um, which is not to say that you shouldn't subscribe to our brand new Patreon. Shameless plug for that. Um, bonus podcast every week, depending on, of course, what tier you're in. You're going to be getting some Macri mini pods over the next couple of weeks as, as uh, the Knicks do some, some things. And uh, yeah, so just go to patreon.com. Uh, search for Nick's Film School if you want to sign up for that. Um, but without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Bleacher Reports, Jonathan Wasserman. Joining me now, for real this time, um, the busiest man this time of year in the NBA. He has all the draft intel you could possibly want or need. Uh, my favorite annual tradition, Bleacher Reports, Jonathan Wasserman. How are we doing, Jay? Hello, Jonathan. Everything good? <laughs> yes, I think good. we're good now. Um, thanks to my Wi-Fi. Uh, apparently, finally starting to cooperate. Um, so we just talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Um, so I'll, I'll say this to start. Um, you hear so much stuff. Um, over the, I think, weeks and months leading up to this, to draft day. Um, you're at the point, I'm at the point where we just want to get this thing done. Um, how much of what you're hearing right now do you feel like is misinformation? How much do you feel like is like, okay, this can actually help me figure out where someone's going to go? And how do you personally differentiate between those two things? Yeah, you just have to use your judgment, you know, over the years on, on, what's nonsense and, and what's legitimate and, you know, how the cycle works. Like you knew Kate Cunningham would start out as the favorite to go number one. You knew eventually there'd be a rumor about Jalen Green and Evan Mobley getting consideration. And then you knew part of the cycle would be, well, now they're looking to listen to offers for the number one pick and it's all going to cycle back to they're going to take Kate Cunningham. And that's kind of how it, you know, how, how it works with, with, with every team. Um, they're targeting this guy. They're looking for a guy who could help them win now. Um, it, it's, it's, the same shit every year and um <laughs> and you just kind of have to use your judgment on on what you buy and, and some of the sources that you're listening to and who you trust over the years and and again it really comes down to judgment okay um there's a lot of players i feel like the you know and you've written about this obviously the knicks have one of the wider ranges in terms of players that i think most fans are focused on because not only do they have the two picks in the, in the 19 21 and 32 but there's also this notion that they may try to um trade up and then i feel like there's this other notion that outside of what used to be a top five and now is maybe a top six or maybe a top seven we'll get into it in a sec they could get up into that next you know range of guys so i feel like you know, there's like 20 guys that in my head, I'm like, oh, well, maybe it could be this player or that player. Um, with that being said, the and I want to kind of go down your mock draft from the other day, which everybody could find on Bleach Report. It's awesome stuff, as always. Um, you have a book night 
Mr. Book Knight from Connecticut now at six. Um, that feels like too high for any, like, even if the Knicks were going to throw in 1921 and let's just say like the 23 Dallas pick, right? They're not getting up to book night range, right? No, they're not. And I'll tell you right now, I got a text last night from a team. I can confirm the Knicks are trying to trade up. They've made calls already. I, I can't, I, I don't think I'm allowed to say who, who they, who they called, but it's late lottery, that range. Okay. And they're, um, and I don't know details of what they offered. Um, but, but they're making calls to try and get up into that range. I, I, we could talk, you know, go back and forth about who they're targeting. Um, six is too high. They're not going to be able to get, not going to be able to get there unless they throw in some, something unexpected. Um, not just, not just the picks in this draft. I, I'm get, I mean, that's just an assumption. You know, you know, you never know. It really depends on like what Oklahoma, how Oklahoma city values book night. You know, do they love book night and see a star or do they really not much, see much of a difference? Uh, between you know six and, and nineteen or whatever, but um, yeah, the Knicks are trying to trade up, but six I would think is is too high for them. Um, the next team that I kind of have always circled as at least an outside possibility um, is Orlando at eight, purely because they seem like the one team in the league next year. Maybe in addition to Oklahoma City, maybe Houston, although Houston's name popped up in the Dame trade rumors recently so who the hell knows um but like orlando seems content to just you know run a bunch of kids out there next year and let the chips fall where they may i would think if they could pick up um a significant future asset again maybe a future first plus take an extra couple bites at the apple do you see that as uh, being a range that the knicks would would be able to go up and get to again it really comes down to who orlando values like if kaminga and again none of these trades will happen until orlando is on the clock until they yeah. see who's available like if orlando thinks and i in my latest mock draft i have kaminga going going eight yeah if they think like well we love kaminga as a you know maybe the sixth best proctor we can get him at eight and we're certainly not trading but if their targets are off the board by eight then they can reconsider and and listen to some offers you mentioned Kaminga. Um, I think you've mentioned it in the past about how he like it's there's a world where he could emerge as the best player from this draft. There's also a world where he could emerge as like a guy that the troubling signs that we saw in the in the bubble towards the end are, you know, come to fruition. Um, I feel like generally when a guy like this starts to slide, it's not a great sign. What's what's your read on Kaminga right now? So some of the, the intel I've gotten or, or some of the, the background checks scouts have done, they ha- hasn't been super assuring. Um, you know, there's been questions about his professionalism, you know, how seriously he takes everything. Uh, there's nothing about his character or anything. Good, you know, nice kid. Um, but I think there are questions about whether he, he, can ma- he will be a player who maximizes his potential, whether he does he understand how to play winning basketball, even though he talks about it, does he actually know how to do it? Um, and then, you know, you go back and watch the film and, and he doesn't really, he's got tons of scoring potential, yeah. but if he does not reach that scoring potential, he's a bust. Like he's got such a little margin for error because he's not a passer. He's not an impact defender. And so he's got to reach this scoring potential. And having said that he shot 24% from three and 62% from the line. So he's got a long ways to go to get to that scoring potential. And anybody that drafts him knows it's going to take a couple of years for him to not just get there with this shot, but also figure out how to score within the flow of an offense. Because some of the criticism dating back to high school, he's, he's a catch and hold guy. And he's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, let me figure out which move I'm going to make while the four other guys stand around. And he takes some, some bad shots and doesn't always use his impressive physical profile to his advantage. And he plays more like a two guard instead of like a power forward sometimes. But uh, of course, with his perimeter skill set and his body, there is mismatch potential and obvious upside. But again, I think scouts are a little bit hesitant to buy into him actually reaching it. Um, that makes a lot of sense. He's just so, honestly, I had not thought of him as a as a name until reading your your mock draft on Bleacher Report the other day and being like, wow, I wonder if the Knicks would ever you know try to make a swing for the fences with him. Um, which leads me to my next question. So we talked about book night. We talked about obviously Kaminga. Um, it feels like, you know, you, you always see uh, Wagner. Wagner, am I pronouncing that yeah, you correctly? Okay. Um, Wagner up there t- towards the second half of the top 10. Um, you, you see Moody. Obviously, Barnes has now kind of nudged himself into that top of the draft conversation. Is there in your mind a clear drop off 
after like a certain tier that kind of is in the back half of the top 10 or, do, or is it more fluid for you? It's pretty fluid. I mean, there really is. I, I think this year there's that, that first group with Cade Mobley, Green, Suggs, and I guess you could say Barnes is in that group. I think he is for me. And then after that, um, man, the difference between six and I don't know what to, to put a number on it, but you know, six and in and, and the mid first round is pretty similar to me. And, and oh. like, I don't think that whoever goes six is going to be the sixth best player in this draft. I mean, it's, it's going to be uh, guys you can get at 14 and 15. I think that that's a, a good value. Um, I, I almost rather have, I, you know, I, I'm hesitant for the Knicks to trade up because I think I'd rather take two swings at 19 and 21 than trade up to, you know, 10 or 11 and saying, put all your eggs in one basket there. So I want to pick that apart for a second because like, I don't know. You know me by now. I always try to talk myself into uh, positive outcomes in the future for the Knicks. And like, I look at these playoffs and I look at, okay, you got the best player on this team was the 13th pick. This team was the 15th pick. This team was the, you know, the 10th pick, you know, and you go down the line and I don't want to say like, it seems like teams are getting worse at this, but <laughs> you, you, you're laugh. like, do you, do you get where I'm, I'm like, why is it that we, we could look through the league and you get all these players who were essentially picked in like the teens or maybe the back after the lottery or whatever, they're blowing up like, and yet the hit rate on like your true stars coming from the top five every year, it's like you get one, one and a half, two. What do you think that is? So my theory is, and I don't know if we're getting worse. We're just not getting better. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Like, it's this is this shit is hard. It's not just like picking the talent. Everyone can identify strengths and weaknesses. It's like who is going to get better in three years, and so and then. But then I think again back to my theory. I, I think the more information, like there's so much information out there, and scouts now their job description is not just evaluating talent, but they have to become detectives, and they put so much stock into character checks and background checks. And sometimes I, I talk to scouts and they're like, yeah, I really messed up on him. I put way too much stock into like conversations with his friends and former teammates and former oh, really? coaches. And I, again, I think sometimes there's, there's just too much information, not just with background checks, but stats. You know, there's just like so much out there. Sometimes I think if we just simplify it and just watch them play a little bit and ignore the numbers and, and stop getting so deep with, with your background checks and, and nitpicking everything they've done since they were 13 years old. Uh, I don't know. That's just, that's just part of my theory, but um, there's your job is to go out and gather information. I think sometimes there's just too much and, and, and it kind of clouds our judgment of, of the basketball evaluation. Well, to that point, speaking of detective work, you know, we have now a one year sample size of, of what a Leon Rose type of player might be looking at Obi and quickly this year. I don't know that they have much in common as players, but there seemed to be, and I'm, I'm sure you, you saw all their interviews, there seemed to be almost like a contagious positivity emitting from both of those guys. More, like, um, You know, it, it, it was noticeable to me, at least. Like, well, again, mm-hmm. watching their interviews, seeing how they uh, their teammates responded to them. Does, is there, well, let me ask this in two parts. Does, first of all, does that check out for you in terms of just like, did you, was that your part of your evaluation or was that part of what you were hearing before last year's draft? And do you think that there's anybody in this year's draft that kind of fits in maybe not that same mold, but has, has some of those similar qualities? I'll say this, the scouts I've talked to are always like great kids, great group this year. And honestly, I feel like I've heard that over the past couple of years, more so in, in the recent uh, couple drafts that, just really high character kids. And, and okay. um, it's like, they're, we're teaching them at an early age that, that, you know, you just, they're looking for, for good people as if like, this is like a real company and you, nobody's going to hire somebody if they don't like them, you know, they, mm-hmm. even if they're good workers. And so I think the NBA is, is helped put more of an emphasis on being professionals and, and teaching them early. Um, going back to OB and quickly, clearly I, I would imagine based on the Knicks history, that they're putting an emphasis on character. They want high character guys. They're not going to take a chance on a guy like Jalen Johnson. And I'm not saying he's not a high character guy, but he's got a lot of red flags cool. in his background. Um, so I'm sure that's, that's part of their search process. Um, I think when we look back at last year's draft, they looked at OB and I'm sure like others, they saw 
they obviously he's a great kid. I mean, such a positive guy and, and likable. I think they saw star potential with him. Okay. And, and yeah, he was a national player of the year. He led the country in dunks. He was, he's a ridiculous athlete and you're shooting threes. And like, it's easy to detect star potential, particularly number eight overall. It was, you know, I totally understood why they made the pick. I probably would have made the same pick at the same time okay. and with, with quickly. Um, honestly, I didn't know quickly that well on the personal level before, but before the draft, obviously I'd covered him since high school, but I guess I hadn't seen a ton of interviews with him and having now got to know him pretty well over the past year, just by watching the Knicks, sure. he clearly has, you know, he is clearly there. Like he's a smart yeah. guy. He yeah. gets it. He's a worker. Um, he, you know, we saw that all that we read all that stuff about him trying to learn from Durant at, at USA camp. Yep. Like he just, he gets it. Like he's a smart kid who's grounded and, and self-aware and all those qualities i'm sure played a role in that pick okay so looking i know you said everybody in this year's draft okay. is um they seem like good kids right um davion mitchell uh is the guy that if you ask me to wager um let's wager a dollar right now on who the who the knicks are going would might be targeting if they if they trade up you'd think because of the boxes he allegedly checks, older mm-hmm. player ready to come in, defense, some shot creation on the on the outside, and then you know you read things that he's a seems like a great teammate, hard worker, made himself into this level of prospect. Yeah. You have echoed a lot of the same fears that I have about Mitchell in your writing and, and analysis in the past, which is that I mean, fuck, he's twenty three years old, right? Twenty or is he? Well, he'll be twenty three before the season. He'll be twenty three before the draft. How do you think? teams are looking at him do you think like he is a candidate to slide like where are you at on davion yeah it's it's this is the best part about the evaluation process you can talk to two scouts and they both have totally different viewpoints one of them doesn't give a shit about his age and the other one's like he's (laughs) six foot do some scouts really just not give a shit about his age i think in more in recent years they've kind of they've kind of worried about it less especially you know like cam johnson going out and, and being a key part of a phoenix suns team and he went 11 overall um, and, and, you know, they got a lot of shit for that pick, but, yep. and they're doing the same thing with Kispert and, and Duarte. And they're like, some of these GMs who have pressure on them, they just want guys who can come in and contribute to their rotation on a rookie contract. Okay. And so, um, and, and when we're, I'd say when the top five pick, you don't want a 23 year old, but when you get to like the late lottery range, you know, you're not getting a star. So if, if you can, if there's a high likelihood, you, you know, a guy can come in and make an impact. You know, if he's 23, 22 years old, no, no big deal for them. So with Mitchell, um, again, we've, we, I think we all know the pros and cons of Mitchell yes. at this point. Um, and yeah, he, on paper, he, he checks the boxes of somebody that, that the Knicks would target. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You said you're not getting a star at that point. I mean, obviously, if you thought someone could be a star at at that point in the draft, I would imagine you would you would probably have them higher on your on your list. Um, I think I ask you this question every year, and it's never a fair question, so I'm going to ask it again. If there's someone you think you're going to look back on, or we're going to look back on, and we're all going to be wrong about, um, like how the fuck did this guy not go in the top five of this draft? Do you like? I know it's again unfair question. Who do you think that might be? Man, I think um, and it's a funny, my answer, I'm not going to say top five, but maybe I'll say like top 10. He's not going to go top 10. But Cam Thomas from LSU. Fuck yeah. Makes me, <laughs> yes. he keeps me up at night. He keeps me up at night. And for 75% of the season, I hated watching this kid play. And I still don't love Why? watching him play. 
He's got he's he has one of the craziest shot selections you've ever seen. He looks like he has no interest in passing to anybody. He's disinterested on defense. You know, I was watching a possession the other day where he took a fadeaway two pointer with twenty six seconds left on the shot clock. Like, you know, he's just he does not give a shit about team basketball, about what he's supposed to do. But he's so good at making shots, and it's a shot making league. And if he goes to a team where he's got veterans around him and they kind of naturally control his shot selection and they get on him and they don't let him pull some of the shit he pulled at LSU. And he's got a coach who's on him and he really locks in. Like this guy could be an incredible score. You know, he was all time leading score at Oak Hill. Uh, he averaged 23 games as a freshman. The, the five major conference freshmen to ever do that were Durant, Trey Young, Markel Fultz, and Michael Beasley. And so uh, yeah. he's just got a special ability to put the ball in the basket. And he, he, he makes you scratch your head and you could be a turnoff to a lot of people. And that's why he's going to slip. But if he goes to a right, think he's gonna right fit, I mean, relatively speaking, I don't think he's going to go in the lottery. I think he's 15 to 25. Okay. Um, a guy that had a little bit more. Uh, well, no, actually, I shouldn't say that. I, let me rephrase that. There was another freshman this season to average 20 points a game. Um, again, not many major conference freshmen uh, have done that. And his name is Sharif Cooper. Yeah. I was starting to say he had a little bit of trouble putting the ball in the basket because his three point shot is um, let's just politely say not what you would have wanted last year. Do you think, again, I'm, I'm asking you to generalize here. A, a GM would rather take a guy with special skills, which Cooper clearly has, and you've written about them a lot. Um, and and try to teach him how to shoot or would you rather or do you think they'd rather take a guy like let's say a Duarte who he could do everything pretty darn well um but there's not that ceiling yeah I mean it's I the beholder and 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 the team and like a rebuilding team is probably not going to want to take a chance not not going to want to go with Duarte but a rebuilding team I mean yeah but a rebuilding team may want Cooper who's you know got some star qualities to him um, and, and, you know, they'll have time for, for a shot to hopefully improve the, the thing with Cooper and, and tying him to the Knicks. And obviously he's been a big conversation in, in Knicks world for this draft. I, if he was up to me and the Knicks stuck at 19 and 21, I'd want him with one of my two picks. Okay. And yeah, I know all of his flaws, but again, I think we have to put things in perspective. You're not getting a star player at 19 and 21. And if you remember that, then it's okay to, to draft Sharif Cooper as a change of pace guy off the bench. You know, lower the bar a little bit. Remember where you're drafting. And Cooper could hold a lot of value to the Knicks in a 15, 20-minute role, just coming off the bench, putting pressure on defenses, setting up teammates. And you say to Cooper, you know, like, get, get me 10 assists. I, I, I don't care if you score once. Just set the table for everybody else. Um, you know, hold your own defensively. By the way, I think he's better defensively than his reputation suggests. Okay. And, uh, you know, as long as – and then maybe if he becomes a great starting point guard, obviously that's uh, that would be amazing. But at 19 and 21, you're, you're looking for rotation players. You're looking for, for contributors to your, your eight to eight to nine-man rotation. And I think Cooper could be that guy. Um, and so I think if you just lower the bar a little bit and remember where you're picking, uh, I think Cooper could hold value to this particular team. Um, you had a great tweet the other day saying don't take green room uh, invites as the be-all, end-all. That said – I personally, I was a little surprised not to see Cooper's name on the 20 man list. Were you, were you a bit surprised by that? I sent a text to a scout the other day and I said, you know, what's going on with Cooper and man. I was shocked to see both of them. And you said, man, also I was, I said, he said, uh, I was not shocked that Cooper wasn't, I was shocked that man wasn't invited. Really? So I think there's a lot of like, like Cooper is divisive. Like you could, you could see stark qualities with him or you could want no part of, of a six foot guard who turns the ball over has this reputation for not being a good defender and obviously is not a good shooter. So, I mean, you, I could definitely see why a team would want nothing to do with him. He's also, he's not interchangeable. He's not going to be able to guard twos. You can't play him off the ball. Like if you're going to draft Cooper, he needs the ball. Yeah. And if he has the ball, you know, a, a lot could go right, but a lot could go wrong. And so for the, for, I could see a lot of teams having zero interest in Cooper. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, man is a little more interchangeable. And, well, and with his shot, I think some teams might find him more attractive. I was about to say, you just mentioned, I don't know if I would say my favorite player that I, I want, because I don't have a favorite player that I really want the Knicks to draft. But man is a guy who, 
every year I feel like I, I see t- tape of one guy and I'm like, what, why is this player not being talked about higher? Mm-hmm. So I will ask you that question. Why is man not being talked about higher given all the stuff that he could clearly do? So man is like definitely an on ball guy. He's, he's got to have the ball in his hands and he's just not a great playmaker in terms of his, okay. It's the playmaking, his, his playmaking mm-hmm. IQ. And so that's fine. I mean, that, that doesn't mean he's going to be a bust or anything. You just have to, again, his role is not starting point guard. His role is probably like what Quickly's role is. Okay. Which is, you know, give me instant offense, streak scoring, a guy who can create for himself, but you don't want him on the ball for 30 minutes making decisions. He just doesn't have the, the vision and, and uh, that point guard instinct to, uh, to balance scoring with playmaking and see everyone around him and, and know when to attack versus balancing it with passing. But yeah, there's no doubt he can create for himself. He's, I, I got to see him in a private workout in Chicago and he was just drilling logo jumper after logo jumper and smooth, smooth as could be. He had one of the best floaters in the draft. And so I think similar to quickly between his float game and his pull-up game, that's how he's going to make money. And that's, that's how he's going to hold value in the league. But I don't see him as like your lead starting point guard for 30 minutes a game. Okay. Um, that's, I just, I always wonder with guys like that, like if, is it possible to just teach someone how to be a proficient pick and roll passer? Is it that's, am I oversimplifying it though? No. And he was, he graded in the 86 percentile and, and uh, as a pick and roll player this year, I think it's more of just over 30 minutes. Can he do it? Can, can he really balance it out? Okay. And, and can he, you know, a lot of his, you can see when he goes into self-creation mode, it's always looking to score. And, and sometimes guys like that just have that mentality. Like Kobe White. Reminds me like Kobe White. Okay. Kobe White Kobe White can get you, have put you up an eight assist game every now and then. But over 82-game season playing 30 minutes, he's not going to do it all the time because he's just he knows that he's better at looking for his shot and shooting off the dribble. And that's just what pops into his brain first. Okay. Um, a couple more. You've been great already. And um, I, I don't want to keep you for too, too long, but I, I have to make the most of these minutes. Um, you, I feel like have been high this year on Kai uh, Jones out of Texas. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I'm also I, I'd say I'm moving him down my board. And again, I think he's team dependent and you know, where, where you are and with your rebuild and, and how patient you are um, should depend on your level of interest in him. And, I, I mean, he, he was like fifth in the country in dunks and he didn't play too many minutes. Yeah. Didn't see too many touches. He just knows how to put himself in position to get easy baskets. And I like that. And I also buy his defensive versatility, kind of like Jonathan Isaac. The numbers did not add up. Like he did not block many shots. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't get many steals and he didn't make many threes. You know, with, with Kai Jones, it's like you hope that the highlights become regular occurrences. However, his highlight tape was short. Like he didn't, he didn't do it often. Um, yeah. But when he did it, you were like, whoa, how is this kid not a top 10 pick? But, you know, it was only every couple of games where he had one of those flash plays. So honestly, when it comes to Kai Jones, it's like you're in guest mode of like, is he going to figure it out and put it uh-huh. together on an every game basis? I don't, I don't know the answer to it, but I think when you look at his floor, you see a guy who runs the floor, he gets easy baskets and somebody who could be switchable on defense. I guess the reason I ask about him and, you know, you also obviously have uh, uh, Isaiah Jackson, uh, slight Nick connection there with, uh, with Kentucky and CAA. He checks, he got, got the double dip. Um, And I guess if you want to throw Senjun, is that the way to pronounce it? Shangun. Yeah. Shangun. Okay. Um, In there too. I have this like crazy theory that I've been like workshopping for myself about, centers being like the way running backs are in football. Like, yes, definitely. Yeah. Is that, I just feel like there's some logic to like, okay, we could pay this guy 10 million or 11 million or $12 million for the next four years. And he could probably be pretty serviceable for us to play 25 minutes a night within a season. Do you, do you think teams are thinking that way at all? The Knicks just signed their off for what? $5 million for (laughs) one year. Like, I mean, it's, it's, there's definitely more, you know, these guys like a Trey Mann is just a lot sexier of a draft pick than Kai Jones. Although Kai Jones could go earlier, but in my mind, like I'd rather gamble on man than get a dunker. Okay. Who, who in three years may suddenly be shooting threes and attacking closeouts All right. and stuff like that. But yeah, when you see like what the Knicks did with Noel, it just, you know, it, they're just so much easier to get a, a big guy like that. Very fair. Okay. I'm going to limit myself to asking about three more players. One, uh, a guy I've had a fascination with, um, Keon Johnson. He, I felt like he was six, seven, eight in like throughout the year. And now, um, in your latest mock, again, I don't know that anybody fell more 
relative to like where they were at one point than than Keon. What's going on? Because he to me strikes me as a guy like shit. If he figures out the offense, that's your that's the guy you want. Yeah, he could still go. You know, seven to to fifteen. His range is is right there, and me moving him down has a lot to do with other guys moving up, and okay. naturally somebody has to drop. And just conversations with, with with a couple guys lately, who are just like, he's such a great athlete, but I, I don't know if he knows how to play basketball. And so um, it's a problem. It's it's another guy who you take him, and he's not going to produce much, you know, in the first couple of years. And some teams may be fine with that. Okay, but others may have more pressure on them. GMs may have more pressure. To, to get some results like in the half court he's just he's not a creator and he's not a shooter so um you know kind of like eh, kind of like pat i would say patrick williams and isaac okoro last year you saw the flashes and he'll give you flashes this year but you really got to hope that he puts it all together over the next couple of years um and also does he he's such a good athlete but he graded in the 17th percentile in transition like he doesn't always know how to use his athleticism okay so there's just a lot of questions with that and, and his skill level for uh, for a wing player and for a guy for a wing player who, you get, who you're thinking about top 10 i think you wish he was a little further along i've also heard scouts a little disappointed by the fact he measured like six three and a half in size i was about to say like you can't like, he, he gets described as a wing which obviously he is a wing but he's like shooting guard size like, pretty strictly so yeah, yeah yeah he's got to be he's just he, he's not really a ball handler at all he was one of the worst pick and roll ball handlers in the league six of 23 out of pick and roll situations this year in terms of getting his own shot and uh He's just not a guy you put on the ball. Not not at this point, at least. Um, a guy who's going in the opposite direction. I think you have him. Uh, do you have him going to the Knicks? I think you have him going to the Knicks. Uh, yes, Mr. Murphy. Uh, Trey Murphy the third out of Virginia. Does it worry you when you see a guy or like, or maybe I should ask, like, well, why is it that you could have a guy like this who is pretty much a second? I mean, I think he was mocked in the, the second round pretty much the whole year. And now all of a sudden he's like, oh, shit, this guy's going to be a, a pick in the teens. Like, what what's the deal with Murphy? Yeah, I think, you know, he's got this role at Virginia, which is a very simplified role. It's pretty much catch and shoot. And uh, I think when we're talking about, you know, mid first round value, teams want shooters and teams want defenders. And he's a high character guy and the numbers back it up. And he's probably showing he could do a little more than what he was able to show at Virginia. Like I'm sure they're running him through, you know, off the dribble drills and workouts. And he really didn't do much off the dribble work at Virginia. I'm also told, and I still have to confirm this, that him and Duarte just got called back for second workouts with Golden State. Oh, so who has the 14th pick? Who has the 14th pick? Murphy is hot. Everybody wants, it's like, it's, I always say they're in the draft, like interest, it's contagious and it snowballs and like you hear teams, you know, you hear a lot of buzz about Murphy and then more teams want to find out more. Like, what am I missing? Let's bring him in. Okay. Same thing with Duarte. Those guys are rising I, at this point. I mean, I put that mock out what, yesterday morning and at this point I'd be shocked if Murphy is on the board for the Knicks at 19. And wow. Thing, and, and Duarte at this point, I, from what I'm told and I haven't been told by the specific team, but I don't think he makes it past Washington uh, at 15. Wow. Okay. Um, Shit, that's interesting. Uh, last guy I want to ask about uh, before I let you go um, is is Jaden Springer, just because again I, I think you've written this in the past for Bleacher Report, and I, I think you mentioned it more recently. the The range on him seems to be very all over the place. Um, I tried to watch a decent amount of Tennessee last year, and I was waiting for like pop moments from him and he, he didn't really give you those pop moments. Yeah. Do you think that's why he's fallen from like a potential top 10 pick to a guy who is probably going to go much later? Well, I will say most of the year um, I, and, and I guess draft Twitter, if, and I guess that's a real thing was higher on Springer than the NBA. Okay. Uh, most of the year I've heard like fringe first rounder. So I think the narrative was, was kind of off. If, if anyone thought that he was um, by the, at least, by NBA thoughts that he was a lottery guy, but yeah, like you said, he doesn't, he doesn't always pop off the screen. And, and from what I'm hearing workouts, he's now fully healthy. His ankle, which knocked him out a couple of games. I'm told it limited him throughout the season. And then he showed up to the combine had the fifth highest standing vert and, and the, the sixth highest max vertical 41 and a half inches. And to me, I, I'm, I think Springer is a lottery guy. As long as you're, you can be patient. And okay, I think Anthony Melton is the, is the comparison I've heard and I've used, um, not a star player, but a guy who has a chance to be a star role player just by, um, you know, playing opportunistically, making the right decisions on and off the ball. 
good spot up shooter, very strong playing through contact, very good defender at, at both backcourt spots. Um, and one of the youngest kids to draft. And I think scouts have also talked about, they hate how he was used at Tennessee. Like he was never put in ball screen situations. He didn't have that, that many opportunities to create. Um, and so people are all over, all over the place on him. He didn't get that green room invite. I'm guessing he's going to be available when the Knicks pick. Okay. Um, you know, is he the right pick for the Knicks? I like him in a vacuum. I don't know if he's the right pick for the Knicks because I think they need someone to put a little more pressure on the rim, but he's a very fundamentally sound, well-rounded player. Uh, all right, Jonathan Wasserman, I'm, uh, before I let you go, I'm giving you my dollar, but you must wager it on one player that will be wearing a Knicks hat by the end of Thursday night. Any player, you had three picks to work with, so you could really go a number of directions here. Man, I, I'm going to go with, I think they're going to go out of their way to get Trey Murphy. You really? Oh, my pre- that was, I predicted that today. That yeah. Great. Yeah, I, I wrote that in my newsletter that if I had to put a buck on it right now, it'd be go up and get Murphy. He's the hot guy. Uh, I don't know if they're going to, the Knicks are going to lose there. You know, Burks and, and, um, and, and Bullock, uh, I'm not really sure what's happening with them, but he's the hot guy right now. He shoots, he, he defends, he's a really high character guy. I could just see them, see them very interested in him. And, um, and, and as I think you reported that he worked out for them, right? Yeah, yeah, him and um, and Trey. Right? Who, who was it? Yeah, him and him and Trey. That was probably a fun workout to to watch. Yeah. Um, and uh, Bassie ba- is Bassie going to get drafted? He will. I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks gave him a look at thirty two. Really? I've, I've talked to scouts who think he's going to get first round looks. He's holy shit. I, I think he's better than what I don't know where he's going to go. He could go anywhere, but um, I think he's pretty good. He's I mean okay. he's he's big time athlete, monster wingspan. And I think he's, he's two-time defensive player of the year. I mean, it's Conference USA, but still, it's something. He's far more skilled than than Mitch. He's obviously not the athlete that Mitch is, um, and, and not as mobile around the perimeter. But uh, if they're looking for a center who can block shots but give you a little offense, Bassey's an interesting option at thirty-two. Oh, look at that little, little, little bonus tidbit here, um, Jonathan Wasserman. Before I let you go, can you let folks at home know where they could find you and your stuff? Yeah, Bleacher Report, NBA Draft Loss on Twitter. You know, we'll have content out every day next week. And uh, yeah, I'll be on the NBA TV mock draft show Tuesday night. So you could check that out. Um, folks, you're going to want to go to your Twitter. And I didn't just do this. This is, I always have your notions. There's a little bell there. Do you see the little bell? You're going to push the little bell for Jonathan Wasserman. You're allowed to turn it off after Thursday night. I personally keep it on all year. Um, you're one of my go-to. You, you, really, you are my go-to for all things draft. Thanks, buddy. 